Welcome to the fundmonitors.com Manager Insights Series. I'm joined today by John Swallow, Director at Loreola Advisors. John, thanks for joining me. Hi, yeah. Good to meet you again. Hello. John, most of the major indexes were down in the month of September in Australian dollars with the S&P 500 total return and the ASX total return both having their worst month in the last 12 months. Uh, even Australian fixed interest had some correlation to equity markets with a small negative return. How has your fund fared over the 12 months, given your focus on that low correlation to traditional assets? Well, the first thing to understand is how we make our returns in the L'Oreola funds. So the uh, L'Oreal Investment Fund is a, is a life settlement fund, and uh, we make our returns through longevity, uh, which more crudely means when people die, we receive death benefits. And people die um, all the time, um, and it's unrelated to what's going on in the, in the economy. So we think that our asset, cl um, asset class is uncorrelated really to all of those wider financial markets. So the fund has been, we've had 101 months of which two have been negative. Um, so th there's really the fact that the S&P and the ASX have been all over the place doesn't really make any difference to us. We have very narrow range of returns and they're typically all positive, all except for two months. So um, the, AS the ASX going down, yeah, that doesn't bother us at all. We just carry on boringly performing um, because mortality is completely independent of uh, financial markets. Uh, operating a fund where you're purchasing life insurance policies is not without risk. Um, how long the life insured lives can have a major impact on returns. How do you manage this specific risk, especially given the advancement in treatments uh, and drugs uh, that are making people live longer? This is a really good question because, of course, longevity risk is what this is all about because we have, a, we have an asset class where most things are known when we buy it. We know... Uh, what the, the the final payout will be. We know what the cash flows are going to be, the, the premium payments. Uh, the only thing we don't know is the when, when this particular individual will die, when we'll receive the death benefits. Um, and the market in the US has developed quite, uh, quite a lot over the last 20 years or so. Um, and the number of policies being brought to the market is slowly increasing. And, and all the, the, there are a number of service providers that now look after the players in this marketplace. So there's half a dozen actuarial firms in the US who specialize in providing a life expectancy report. Uh, so they look at the medical records of the individual and they give a number in months. Uh, so let's say that might be 60 months. Now, that doesn't mean this particular insured is expected to die at 60 months. This is a probability distribution curve and 60 months is expected to be the midpoint of that uh, probability distribution curve. So that now gives the manager something to work on. You know, there's this now a 60 month number. And essentially, what happens is that all the players in the market, the, the sellers, the buyers, price the asset off this 60 month number. And they do the, they work out what discount rate they want to use in order to provide a, a purchase price or an offer rather for this thing. Uh, and then once they bought it, how to value it, <clears throat> excuse me, going on. And, um, the, you know, the law of large numbers, which is how many people think, would, would suggest, well, if you have enough policies in your portfolio, then that 60 month number on average is going to be fine. And of course, that should be true. That should be true. But um, actually, what we found is that the life expectancy providers are structurally always too um, uh, 
short <laughs> running around yeah. on, on life expectancies. So where they say the midpoint of the curve was 60 months, it turns out it should have been 68 months, which is quite very, very different, which means the, the guys who are operating on the law of large, large numbers are, are structurally out. Um, and they have way more people dying after the life expectancy of 60 months uh, than before. So their returns are quite severely affected by that. Um, and we learned this the hard way. Um, one of our negative months was due to um, two of the large firms of underwriters owning up to the fact that they've been structurally wrong forever and saying, sorry, guys, all our life expectancies have just been too short. We've extended them across the board by, by roughly 10%. Um, so that meant that we had to reevaluate all our policies and uh, reprice them. And if you extend the term of a bond, it's like a bond, the price goes down. So the same thing. So we had a 5% write down in December 18 when that happened. Um, so that was one of the kind of big lessons for us. And the, the other thing that we've really appreciated is how um, these there are these six different underwriting firms. Um, they all have strengths and they all have weaknesses. So we have all these individuals, you know, all in their, their senior, you know, 65, 70, 75 year olds, who typically have some medical conditions. Uh, and they represent a very, very small proportion of the US population. So the actuarial tables, which drive life insurance pricing and everything, which, which are based upon 200 or 350 million people, um, doesn't really apply to the very small set of really old people. So these guys are trying to develop uh, a database of, uh, of, of how to predict life expectancy in, in, that, in that area. Um, and they're getting better all the time as they get more data. But we've learned that some are very good at dementia, some are very good at heart conditions, some are very bad at this, some are very bad at that. Um, so when we get an, a life expectancy report now from one of these underwriters, we have a much better way internally of modeling whether uh, how accurate that particular life expectancy might be. Um, but we've done something more than that, which I think is the, the real sweet source for us. Um, we've introduced a medical and scientific panel. So we have, at the moment, we have two individuals on this one. One is Dr. Khadija Kanalhassan, who's a immunologist um, working out of uh, France in Europe. And she's uh, been advising, um, she's been involved in, in big pharma like Glaxo and uh, lots of US companies. And she's also a consultant to the European Union. Um, and helping them identify the, the projects which should get funding. And her expertise is on a cancer, basically. Mm. So she is completely up to date with all of the um, uh, new drugs and um, treatments for cancer, which is really helpful for us because we can show her a medical record uh, of, of, let's say, a lady who's you know, got whatever stage of whatever cancer and, and her results and blood results and so on. And she will tell us, you know, what the various treatments that are available at the moment, what the results are statistically for bloody blah, blah. And on that basis, she can add some further insight into how accurate that life expectancy will be, or specifically, actually, um, whether this individual's blood results suggest that she's responding well to the treatment, or there are treatments being developed right now which are targeting this particular cancer. Now, it's, it's as important to us to avoid the cases where people are going to live longer than expected as it is to buy the policies where people are going to live shorter than expected. So if she can say to us, there are treatments coming which suggest this woman might live longer, we won't buy that policy because that's 
kind of pushing us out into that longer longevity risk. And about a third of the people in the US die of cancer or uh, ca cancer conditions. So, so she covers quite a big chunk of our medical records. And the other uh, guy we have on our uh, medical panel at the moment is uh, Dr. David Koo, who's a cardiologist by background and now an engineer. He's uh, got a chair emeritus at Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and his um, business or his, his engineering is to do with developing mechanical treatments for heart conditions. So he's a, a heart specialist. He's a, a, like uh, Khadija, she, he's you know, at the, the cutting edge of treatments for heart conditions. So again, he can tell us there are mechanical uh, or, or medical treatments being developed for this particular heart condition. And this guy probably will lo live longer or actually there's nothing coming. This guy is not gonna do so well. So they can help us a lot in identify the policies that we want to avoid, which is really powerful. Because if we can get within our portfolio, um, half the people dying before the life expectancy and half dying after, which is you know, the law of large numbers, been in a small fund here, then we will get the returns uh, that, that we are projected. And, and let me tell you what that is. So the market trades um, in a gross projected IRR range of 12 to 14%. In other words, when you do discount all the cash flows, uh, your gross return will be 12 to 14%. So that assumes the individual will die at 60 months to stay with that number. Yep. Um, so if we have half our uh, portfolio die before 60 and half die after, then we will be getting that 12 to 14% gross IRR. That's before all the fund costs and everything. But you can see how it's possible to uh, project net returns to investors of eight to 12%, which is what we, we, where we set investor expectations. But it does entirely depend upon getting that, long, that mortality right. And just to give you some uh, kind of numbers for that, if, if that 60 month guy, sorry, if the life expectancy changes from 60 to 68 months, that 14% gross projected IRR would be half that. So it would be seven. So it really does kill the returns. Sorry, that's a bad pun there, but um, uh, so longevity risk is the big, big um, risk which managers really do need to, well, it, it's good if a manager can get to groups with that. And we, we pride ourselves really on what we've done to get a better understanding of that. John, recently a bill has gone to the US Congress uh, to allow life insurance to use their proceeds from selling their insurance policy tax-free to fund their own long-term health care. Is this a good thing for life settlements, the life settlements industry? And how does it affect your fund and, and potential performance of your fund? It's a really good thing for, for the industry generally. Um, very, very few policies at the moment are brought to market um, because of a lack of, an, uh, lack of awareness. The insurance companies obviously don't like it because over 90% of policies uh, lapse without the payment of a death benefit. So the insurance companies operate, their, their business model is collect premiums, don't pay death benefits. So they don't really want um, people to sell their policies to investors who will keep them going till the death benefits paid. But we are a tiny, tiny proportion of that market. So we don't make any difference to them really. But they're not really encouraging the market and they do try and block it from time to time. Um, but th there is this massive financial retirement deficit in the US, massive. And there's also this healthcare uh, shortfall. So Fidelity, for example, um, 
um, uh, say say that on, on av an average 65 year old couple in America will spend 285,000 US dollars, which is 380 Aussie dollars on healthcare. That's an awful lot of money. Um, that's a lot of money. And they don't just, they just don't have it. So um, there, are, there are all these kind of networks of Medicare and so on, um, which try and pick up the, the, the slack, um, which are government funded. So the government really wants people to be able to self-fund this stuff better. So they, they and, and there's this asset that people have, you know, they've been paying insurance premiums for 20, 30 years, families grown up, the mortgage is paid, they don't need the insurance. The typical route is they go back to the insurance company and say, I don't want to pay anymore. And that's the end of it. Right. But it's an asset uh, which we as, as, as managers, investors think, well, that's actually quite valuable and we're prepared to pay for it. So with a type of insurance in the US, um, which is uh, I know there's a sort of whole of life or whatever it's called in Australia, but universal life is the, the model that the Australia, uh, sorry, the US market call. The, it has a cash value and the, um, the, the so the insurance company will give them a contractual cash value, surrender value for it. And typically, the investor will pay four or five times that, that amount and still get a 12 to 14 percent gross IRR. So in terms of the individual U.S. person, they can get $50,000 or $200,000 for the same thing. Um, and that makes a huge difference to their retirement. So there's a huge kind of ESG component to this. I mean, I know it's the macabre to talk about death, but nobody forces these guys to sell. They are willing sellers. They come to the market because they have a financial need. Mm. Um, and there, there have been moves at uh, at federal level to make them uh, the, the the seniors more aware of the opportunity they have to monetize this asset. Um, so there's now a fiduciary duty on advisors to tell the insureds if they the who um, their, their, their clients you have an option to sell you know rather than surrender. Yeah. And then this bill at Congress, uh, which hasn't yet passed because there's been too much other stuff going on in the US. Um, but it has bipartisan support, will we'll just provide a, a tax break for people to do that. So you can see there's um, there's a lot of um, support federally for this kind of thing. It's not something that's going on in the background and nobody really likes it. It's, you know, it's fully supported, Yeah. but it's tiny. And, um, and, and again, just to give you some feel for that, in uh, last year, um, probably only a thousand or so policies were sold into the US market, uh, sorry, into the investor market. It's a tiny, tiny amount of people who actually get to do this. Um, and the, the, uh, the, the financial need is desperate uh, in the US for people, you know, most, I think half of the US retirees don't have enough money to pay two months of bills. I mean, you know, they are really financially stretched. So to be able to realize some cash for an asset which they don't need anymore, potentially has a great benefit for them. So yeah, oh. the billing progress can only help. John, I always find it fascinating to talk about uh, life settlements. Uh, it's a very interesting asset class and its lack of correlation uh, to other traditional assets makes it very, very interesting. As always, thanks for your time and uh, good luck. You're very welcome. Thank you.